Service design, by nature, aspires to come up with solutions by putting people at the heart of its processes. Through design research, potential users demand the requirements of the future service, enabling service design to create desirable services. The inevitable question that follow up is always, it might be desirable, but can we actually make it? In a plan for a desirable service, clients start to ask how feasible and scalable the services were. As a consequence, two trends emerge. On one hand, service design agency started to widen their offer to product development. And on the other hand, product development firms morph into end-to-end -end agency by topping up their portfolios with design research and service design capabilities. As businesses begin to see the limitation of traditional business consulting and as open-minded designers apply their methodologies to new fields, they have the opportunity not only to prove viability but actually to design new ways to be viable. Innovation has a sweet spot here, where desirability, viability and feasibility meets the human, the business and the technology perspective. But to change the market, to innovate with a product, it's important to understand the competition to set the contextual frame. That is crucial for the success of a new service. Business designers frame the design process from a perspective that is different, yet complementary to other disciplines, to ensure the team is moving in the right direction. One of the most famous examples of a product that innovated by changing the concept, the experience and the target is the game console Nintendo Wii. Many of you, I'm sure, already know it. In the late 90s, Sony's PlayStation won the console race against its competitor Nintendo 64. Then in the early 2Ks, PlayStation 2 was launched and soon became the best-selling gaming system of all time. Nintendo needed a new strategy to avoid failing again. With a low-cost solution focused on occasional players and an innovative game experience, Nintendo wanted to create a console that would appeal to everyone, that was affordable, smaller, easy to pronounce and simple to play. Nintendo Wii was much less advanced technologically than PS3 or Xbox 360, but it offered a simple, yet a very playful gaming experience, and it also reached a much wider audience than its competitors by going beyond the traditional demographic of young males. Summing up, they framed the business problem understood user, market and technology, and then set the way to the design process to start it to create the new experience. That's what the business designer here in Tangity doing every day, enabling the people-centric foundation of design project, infusing business with true customer knowledge while ensuring clients' business is set and focused to deliver on customer needs. Welcome to a new episode of The Untangler, the first podcast series of Tangity, a global network of design studio, part of Entity Data. Tangity Design Studios have headquarters in Japan, UK, Germany and Italy, and recently we are also in China, Shanghai and Romania, in Cluj-Napoca. For this episode I bother a German colleague, Stephanie Lacher, 
business design manager at Tangity Munich, and she told me something about her life, passions, job talent and attitude. Born and raised in that area, has deeply Bavarian roots, a sunny mood and strong belief. Design mentality related to business skills can show the right way to reach innovation. I'm originally from Bavaria, Bavaria near Munich. I grew up near Munich. So I have Bavarian roots, which is kind of an important thing, I guess, in Germany. People always laugh about Bavarians because they have their own culture and their own rituals. Um, and yeah, I, I'm born into the Bavarian family and um, I grew up a little bit outside of Munich. So it was a smaller village, but still very close to the city. And I always liked that, like, you don't really realize it when you're young, um, but it's nice to be in a very safe environment, but still have the possibility to visit a big urban area um, with all the shops, all the clubs, yeah. all the bars. <laughs> So that was that was uh, very nice and um, grew up there very safe. Um, I have a brother, uh, an older brother and with my parents. And I guess I was always someone who was interested in many different things. So um, mostly something that my brother did or my, my, my father did. Mm -hmm. So they played tennis. So I wanted to learn tennis. They did windsurfing. So I wanted to do yeah. windsurfing. But over the time, there were also other things I explored. So I, I always loved music. So I learned different instruments. Mm -hmm. At some point, I joined a choir. So I was singing choir. So many different things happening in my life, I guess. Um, but at the same time, always a very stable background with my family. Um, with um, We're a really big family. So my bigger family is around 35 people with cousins and um, aunts and uncles. And we have a lot of traditions. Uh, so you can imagine, for example, on Christmas, mm -hmm. every day, so the 24th, the 25th and 26th, yeah. every hour is kind of scheduled with a tradition and you can never change yeah. it. So you know exactly what you're going to do, who you're going to meet, what kind of dish you're yeah. going to prepare. That sounds um, very Italian. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's also German because it's very structured, okay. I guess. <laughs> But I loved it because there was never fights. Uh, there was always clear who does what and we all knew what was coming. And mm -hmm. so traditions have always been a very, very big thing in my family. Mm -hmm. Not a big family, yeah. Also related to, to food, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always same dish. You oh. cannot negotiate. <laughs> Last year, you know, the pandemic, everything changed. So yeah. we couldn't meet as a bigger family. So my mother had this idea about doing a different dish this mm. time. Um, so she said, let's do salmon. And then immediately my brother texted, uh, because he doesn't live in Germany. So he texted, he's like, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to stick to the routine <laughs> and the tradition. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a little bit funny, but I always enjoyed having like roots and, and kind of a strong family mm -hmm. uh, bound. Um, yeah, but back to your question what was childhood like um, at some point I then really wanted to leave and like explore the world mm -hmm. um, and see see different cultures see different countries break out of this comfort zone um, and I did that quite early for the first time I think I was in grade eight or nine so I was around 15 14 years old I went to to New Jersey in the US to do like a mm -hmm. language language class that was just over the summer but I enjoyed that, so I decided to do one high school year abroad. 
um, and yeah. I lived there when I was 16. I moved uh, to Canada and lived there for a while. That was that was pretty amazing as a younger girl, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of my home family and just somewhere completely else. That was nice. Many people who have never set a foot in Germany have the same image of Germans, drinking beers and eating sausages while wearing traditional costumes. Though these clichés are often served to depict Germany as a whole, the tradition actually came from Bavaria, a German state with a very distinct culture. But Bavarian culture is more than this. A free state with a strong dialect, spectacular landmarks, a famous beer culture, a legendary car producer and a successful football team. What does it mean to you being a Bavarian? Uh, Diego, you, you're, you're asking difficult questions, what it means to be a Bavarian, um, because I think you would get uh, very different answers who you ask. So if you ask me as, a, as someone who, who was born there, um, I really value um, the cultures and the traditions that come from that. So we have, of course, you know, Oktoberfest and beer garden, but it's, it's not the Oktoberfest. It's the mentality of coming together at one long table, having a nice glass of beer, maybe two or three glasses of mm -hmm. beer and just enjoying life. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's what it means to me. Um, and other than the culture, it's also the environment. So we have beautiful mountains just around the corner. We have beautiful lakes. We have a city like Munich um, that has changed over the time. It's now very international, so it's very nice. Um, so just the, the possibilities that, that you have around your corner, if you leave your house in terms of being outdoors, enjoying this beautiful scenery. Um, I, I remember my, my mom says, we live somewhere where others want to go for holidays. And that's actually really, really nice. And I think yeah. it's true. So that's what I like about it. But if you ask others mm -hmm. about Bavaria, so like people from the north, they would probably say like, Oh, they're super stuck up. They're like arrogant. They think they think they're better than we are. Okay. They have FC Bayern, who's like a very arrogant football club. <laughs> and I don't think that's very true. <laughs> you always win, so <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We're pretty successful right now. <laughs> so that that makes my life a bit okay. better right now. <laughs> have you ever noticed the stress read against is desserts? maybe is the reason why sweets help us in difficult moments. Baking makes the world smell better. And I'm pretty sure that Stephanie put her effort into making us breathe better here. I really love food and I love, uh, I have a sweet tooth, so I love chocolate. <laughs> so I think when I was younger, baking was a way of getting more of the cakes and the cookies. <laughs> Um, that was probably the roots and um, then I just somehow always loved to experiment around different different cakes but also decoration of cakes. I always loved to like decorate it and make it look pretty mm -hmm. even before Instagram existed and um, that's where it was coming from I think. Uh, I still love to do that because it um, when I bake a cake I don't think about many other things I want to I'm just in this moment I guess and then when I decorate it I have to really um, focus and go into the details 
And since like the world is so fast right now, if you just then stand in the kitchen and have to make sure that you draw the heart in a yeah. nice way, I like this. I, uh, it kind of calms me and soothes me, yeah. I guess. Business design and pastry has also something in common. Maybe not necessarily for everyone who's doing design, but for me, yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a very structured person, for example. And I think uh, in, in the world that we operated, where everything is so complex and where you have so many disciplines working together and where you have super interesting projects, but also always the client side, you somehow you need to have the structure in your chaos. And I guess that's why what I would bring to yeah. the group, what I bring to the group. Um, I'm not saying that a person that is not as structured is not successful, mm -hmm. but for me, it has been proven as successful for me personally, having some kind of structure and still in the chaos, following some rules, some processes, some mm -hmm. guidelines. Yeah, I guess there would be some yeah. parallels. Is this uh, um, a business design uh, skill or a German skill? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it is a business design skill um, to to follow the process, to to look at it from from the bigger picture, to not get lost in the way, um, to communicate the right things. Um, I think it is it is somehow uh, important for business designers in the field, yeah. Not get lost in the chaos. Sometimes, to find your way, you have to put yourself out of the comfort zone. People, places, experience, learning, discovering, being curious. All you observe can define you as a designer and human being, and you will expand your comfort zone's boundaries. Um, I, I'm a strong believer that the people that surround you define who you are, but also uh, define who you want to be, maybe. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's how I would describe it. And by, by leaving your comfort zone, your, your, the people who you surround yourself with, if you broaden that group, I think you get completely new inspirations, new beliefs and new values. And this is, I guess, what I experienced. I left the safe environment, put myself somewhere else, met amazing people with different cultures, with a different language, with different beliefs. And I, I learned about them and I learned what bits and pieces I want to integrate into my life. And that was when I, when I had the chance to live in Canada in a, in a family, but also when I went abroad to study in Dublin, mm -hmm. um, I lived there for two years and Um, I was a very young student and I was I was used to the to the way of German education and German punctuality. Mm -hmm. And then you're you're in this country and you realize it's not important if the bus is 10 minutes late. It, it's just not important. There are other things that are way more important. The way you build relationships, the way you communicate with uh, with strangers. Um, the way you build your, your new relationships and your new friends. And that was always a very enriching thing. So leaving the German way of doing things or the Stephanie's surroundings ways mm -hmm. of doing things and learning new ways and integrating them into my life. I studied business, international business in my bachelor's. And then I specialized in my master's in innovation and strategy. Um, and th that was also 
also a way that I, I liked because I always knew I want to work in a field where I can create something new, where where I'm on the edge of the next step and where I can have an impact on the future mm -hmm. and not so much being in the business fields of um, let's let's do accounting or controlling or, or marketing for things that already exist. I always wanted to work somewhere where you shape something new. Stephanie, with her baggage full of experience and stories and values gathered around the world, went back to Munich and started to work in the consultant world. Yeah, so after my master's degrees or during my, my degrees, bachelor's and master's, I did a lot of internships. So mm -hmm. I had a chance in four different companies. I also did consulting. Um, so I did an internship in a strategy consulting company. And I did like this approach of um, being a consultant, meaning that you can work on different topics, different clients have a very um, diverse environments that you put into and that you need to tackle and solve. So I like that. So I decided let's work in consulting. And I started in a rather back then more traditional management consulting company, in, but in the department of innovation. There were a few projects about traditional business projects like reorganizations of big co uh, corporations, but there was always the field that I worked in that was um, thinking how big corporates can be more innovative. Back then they asked always the questions, how can we be like a startup? Yeah. Everyone wanted to be like a startup. And then we had this, these programs like innovation labs, accelerators, mm -hmm. incubators. So they, back then people thought that this is the solution to the problem, that you just collaborate with startups and then you kind of become like a startup and mm -hmm. you will be successful. Um, and that's, that's in the field that I started. Yeah, and then I, um, I somehow stumbled upon uh, uh, the design approach and the design-led thinking. Um, and it, it was much different because in the innovation consulting um, world, you basically do some analysis, competitor analysis, market yeah. analysis, and then you write like a 50-page PowerPoint presentation yeah. It gives recommendations what the company should do next, which market they should enter, which product they should mm -hmm. maybe do. And then you would kind of leave them alone with, okay, we give you our yeah. recommendation. Now you can do good that. Good luck. Good luck, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. And um, somehow I, I, I had this gut feeling that I, I didn't have much experience, but I had the gut feeling that I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can be successful that way. And then it, I think the, in parallel, the stream of um, broadening the understanding of design happens. So design is not about um, making marketing campaigns, making something look pretty, um, but design-led thinking is actually a way of becoming innovative, relevant, solving problems. And it's, it's the way how companies um, will be successful in the future if they follow a design-led thinking approach. That's what kind of I realized, but not by myself, obviously by talking to people and, and learning about the design approach. Um, yeah, and then we had the chance at, uh, at NTT Data, that's our mother company, um, that has a very technology 
uh, background. That is, um, I would say, in 80% of the cases, um, developers and technology experts. Uh, we had the possibility to build um, a design studio yeah. to combine um, the design work with the technology work and the business work. And um, that journey just has been absolutely amazing. The business design has some contact points with traditional management consulting, important skills that definitely complete the backgrounds of business designer intangity. So the difference is that that the classical management consulting approach that is is decreasing. There it's not you cannot find as much anymore in, uh, on the market as five years ago. But for me, this is more like a theory-driven analysis of what is a good idea to do, what kind of strategy should a company go to, which market should they enter, which, uh, which products should they build, how should they position themselves. Um, so that's for me rather the classical approach. The approach that we have now is, um, is, a, is bringing in different disciplines and skills to build something new. And if you bring in these skills like business design and technology, you build something that will be successful and that will survive and that is is feasible. I know that everyone always says that it's viable, feasible, it's desirable, but I truly believe in it mm -hmm. because you bring in the different viewpoints and the designers bring in the view, um, I understand the user problem. I understand what are the main pains. So I'm going to solve it for that person. I'm going to make it as easy and intuitive and simple as possible. And the technology person will say, understood. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's do that. I will make sure that we can actually, from a technology point of view, make that happen. And it's not just going to be a dream that's not going to be realized. And then the business people come in and say, It's going to be super nice to have something simple, intuitive, that actually solves a problem. And it's super cool that we can do this with the technology that we have. But guys, businesses need to earn money with that. Mm -hmm. They need to survive with that. And they're not going to survive it by the greatest solution that no one's going to pay for um, or that's not going to be sustainable or it cannot be delivered. So you need the business point of view to kind of bring this to reality, to bring this to the corporate reality. And um, this is what the business people bring in. They will say, is, is there a business model behind it? Can we earn money with that? If yes, how can we earn money? Who pays for that? What is the revenue stream? But what are the costs on the other side? Um, and then also, what are the processes? What does a company... For example, let's take the example of um, of Ho, the, the project that you did, the really big project yeah. that Tensi Milan did. So a, a new mobile provider in the market. You built something or we built something really great, but we made, need to make sure that the customers pay for that and that the whole company can actually operate the service. So what are the processes in the background that happen? What are the processes of the product managers that are responsible to to sustain the service. And I think that's that's the viewpoint that the that the business people bring in. So in your experience you can say and say it loud that innovation has a a, a sweet spot between desirability, viability and feasibility. Not just the sweet spot, 
all of them have to exist to make it successful. If you miss one of them, it's not going to be successful. And that's why I believe that that what we offer with all the different disciplines will bring value and impact and success. And that if you only do one, if you only do the business side or only the design side or only technology side, mm -hmm. you cannot be successful. For those who aspire to be one and to those who don't know what it means, Here's the list of the capabilities that a business designer should have in Tangity. Analyst uh, skills. So you need to under quickly understand processes. You need to understand how a business model works. You need to understand how how um, how a business case works. What what kind of revenue streams you have? What kind of cost streams you have? I think that's more the classical skills you need. Mm -hmm. um, But there's one that is, in my opinion, mentioned too little, and that is that you have an enablement role as well. So you need to be the translator between designers and the customers. And the customers, I say, are clients that ask us to do something. Mm -hmm. So you need to enable the client, um, tell them about the design-led thinking, tell them about the, the design approach and the value of the design approach, tell them what they need to do in order to work with a design approach. Um, so you, you are an enabler and a translator of design-led thinking and the normal corporate world, I guess. Stephanie has built in the latest three years with many colleagues and directors, the design mentality and approach in Entity Data Munich. So the first conversations that we had was in uh, around three years ago, uh, but those were more on a concept level, understanding that uh, having a design studio could, could be really interesting, combining the technology with the design. And then around um, two years ago, we actually built the very first small team. Of, we were five people in the beginning mm -hmm. and um, Most of them had a um, service design innovation background, um, but mostly from the business, they came from the business world. And then we, um, we immediately said, if we want to do a service design project, we have the business people, we have the technology people, but now we need to uh, get our designers on board, on board, the UX designers and the visual designers. So we, um, We decided to not acquire someone because back then most of our competitors acquired um, a design studio yep. and we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to grow it organically. And that's what we did. And today we are uh, 24 people and, and a mix of business designers and UX and UI designers. And um, we have our beautiful uh, international network of design studios we have tangity now in milan uk japan munich and more coming business designers frame the design process from a perspective that is different yet complementary to the other disciplines to ensure the team is moving in the right direction um i think It's two different perspectives that, that is brought in. One is, I think, a project that has the business side covers is a little bit more realistic and fits into reality, into reality business life. Um, by that, I mean, it's, it's not going to be 
pink clouds and something super cool but it's going to be something that will work and that will be operated and that will be successful on the market i think that's one the other thing is i think it in the long term it will be more sustainable because it's not just an idea and a super cool product and service that was built and tested but if it's successful there it will be there will be a more long-term success with it because a company can actually earn money with that or um, if it doesn't if it's not about money it's a company can operate it it will not be overwhelmed by by this new innovation it can handle it um, so I think that those are the two aspects that come in and if you ask me if I've seen this yes I have with projects that we do especially when we do service design uh, projects um, we built in a very short amount of time, we're, we're able to build a solution that will solve problems and will respond to user needs. But then there will be this time where we have proven that and then we need to integrate it into the corporation. And we're, we're, we're at this point where we need to prove that we can uh, sustain and commercialize something, that we can earn the money with it. And um, I've seen projects fail because we couldn't show how it's sustainably in the future. And I've seen projects fail uh, where the corporation was not able to integrate it into their, into their own workforce, into their mm. own departments. Business design provides the tools and the methods to develop and test a business model. At the same time, it makes the difference between a service that is just a market stunt and one that is a sustainable business. I don't know the reason, but uh, many of our clients are always in the it, itself in the innovation context. So um, one of the most interesting projects of last year was, um, for example, for uh, Toyota Financial Services. Um, so this is the automotive captive of Toyota, which is, as most of us probably know, most of the listeners, one of the biggest OEMs in the world. And um, they had the idea of building a used car platform. Um, so you know how they sell cars or they lease cars. Mm -hmm. And now they had this idea about let's, um, let's try to gain new customers by building a platform where everyone can sell and buy a used car. So uh, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a Toyota car, but a used car. And um, as there are already um, some providers on the market that offer some kind of platform, um, the brief was that we need to define something that is better than uh, yeah. what's on the existing market and that has a better customer experience and better mm -hmm. features than everything that is there. So the idea was to to build this platform on an app so that you sit on your sofa and you um, you can sell or buy a used car while sitting on your sofa. You don't have to go anywhere. Mm. You just do it completely digitally. And uh, we wanted to do that. Uh, well, we did that with um, as the first market with the Italian market. So we had this brief and then we had the challenge to um, to build this new service um, only within four months from the research to the service design concept to the business model behind it, um, all the processes and then the detailed design and the development. Wow. 
And that was the, the we called it MVP light was done with only four mm -hmm. months. And then, um, of course, we were also hit by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but uh, the service is now called, we also did the branding, branding and marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's live now. It's called uh, the hybrid place. So the listeners can also um, Google it yeah. and, and download the app and, and have a look at uh, the hybrid place. As designer, we feed our curiosity. We continuously want to improve ourselves. We try to learn something every day. The biggest thing I learned was um, was the value of quickly producing tangible results. And I can explain it a little bit. This is also why I love our name Tangity so much because it has the component of tangible in it. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is you're going to be most powerful if you prove your ideas and your concepts in a tangible result, being it a prototype, a mock-up, a click dummy, yeah. a first pilot, a first MVP. The sooner you bring something on paper, visualize something, the more successful you're going to be. And that's something that I learned in the last year and that also symbols why I truly believe is that business and design need to work together because without the design you can have good ideas but you will never be able to make a user-centered to base it on the customer need and to visualize it really quickly and i think that that's probably my learning of one of the key learnings of the last mm -hmm. few years and um whenever i do a project now i say As early as possible, we need to show something tangible. When we work with our clients, we cannot work in our studios for two months and not show our customers a tangible product already. We have to do that even after three, three weeks, maybe it's just a storyboard. After uh, six weeks, it's maybe a mock-up and, and a big dummy. But really visualizing it, um, I think that's, that's one of the most powerful tools that we have. Wunderbar, Stephanie. Thank you very much for sharing. What an interesting and inspiring chat. And I'm pleased you introduced and told me something more about one of our Tangity team. And I'm sure I know how we can cooperate even better than we are doing now. I hope you also enjoyed this episode of The Entangler. A new one will be live in a month. Keep following us on LinkedIn or Instagram. Just look for Tangity Design. Auf Wiedersehen.